0: NFL is four weeks in. What do we make of the six unbeaten teams? We have MLB playoffs going on right now, and of course, NBA in its finals. You are listening to the Bearded Car Episode 5. Mike Pacheco with Dave Friedman. Hope you all are doing well and uh, healthy, of course, in these crazy times that we
1: live in. And uh, Dave, how are you doing today? I am well. I am well. It's a, uh, another beautiful day. It's amazing. You can complain about the weather here, but you and I have both lived other places, and there's not a lot to complain about. It does get hot in the summer and sometimes humid and muggy, but boy, the fall is pretty spectacular. Yeah, we had,
0: uh, John had baseball practice last night, and it was just phenomenal. I mean, short sleeves the whole time. I mean, it got a little chilly towards the end, had kind of the cotton candy skies, the... Lights were coming on, and the, the sun was setting. So definitely, um, I, I tell people this is the best time of
1: year. Uh, normally, How old is John?
0: John I just turned 14.
1: Yeah, that that's what I thought. We're, we're going to talk at the end of the pod today. We're going to go a little bit off the rails from what we usually do. But I thought when I was thinking about this this morning, this is going to be the last presidential election that he is unable to vote in. Mm. Wow, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Think about that. The rest of your life, after this election, he will be able to vote in all of the elections going forward.
0: Well, what freaks me out more than that is in two years, he'll be driving a car.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Will you be teaching him to drive or will Sam?
0: That is um, I think that is a matter of debate right now. Uh, I I think I feel like I'll be the one teaching him, and I think she feels like she'll be the one teaching him. So, it it we this you know I think we have it would co-parented. be a very
1: different experience.
0: Well, we have cope as you know we have both been very involved. Um, you know I, I've been very involved with him as well. So uh, it, he'll probably get a little bit of both. Uh, and I know that sounds like we're divorced. We're not. We're still together. <laughs> Because
1: normally, well, when you be, say but compare, you guys do you think... have very different temperaments. Yeah, I, I would imagine learning to drive because I, I learned to drive more from my dad than my mom, but also from my grandfather. Mm. And my grandfather was Willie Loman. At one time, <laughs> he was a traveling salesman. Right, he right. he sold things out of the back of his car. So he grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania and from the time he was 20 or 21 years old he would well when he got out of the army he would leave the house the family on monday morning and go wherever it was he was going that week to sell things whether it was in pennsylvania or maybe in the mid-atlantic somewhere and you know he would drive to baltimore and he would meet with two or three people and he would sell stuff and then he would drive another hundred miles and he would sell some other stuff and you know he'd come back like Wednesday night or Thursday, and then spend the weekend at home with his family, and then Monday he was back out on the road. And because of that, he had a million miles, yeah. and he was just a very comfortable driver just never panicked never got anything distracting just very easy sat back and drove the car and for years and years and years we talked about how he was really the only good driver in the family like you know (laughs) my mom is a so-so driver my dad's an okay driver my sister and i are mediocre drivers but grandpa was a great driver and he was also a great teacher because he was so calm that if I was behind the wheel and grandpa was sitting next to you, he could very calmly point out a car over there that you might want to be aware of or a turn that was upcoming. I don't know that I have the temperament to teach someone else to drive because you've driven with me many times. And I <laughs> like to honk the horn and cut people off. And I get very frustrated and I flip people the bird. Like You, you need someone kind of with that even temperament.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, Sam uh, definitely has uh a little more of a lead foot than I do. So, I think that would be interesting. <laughs> Temperament-wise, I think we're we're both pretty uh I think we're both okay with that. Sometimes I do the Boston comes out in me. Um but you know, it's funny. I did learn how to drive differently here uh and it, I wouldn't say it was an adjustment, but you know, I mean, in Boston uh and you know, and you, I imagine San Francisco is somewhat similar to this. I mean, it's kind of doggy dog. I mean, if you if you're merging onto the highway, if you don't put your nose out there and then gun it, uh, you know, you, you could you could sit there for five minutes before somebody would let you in. Now in, here in the South, uh you know, it's a lot and I always describe it this way. It's it when people come to a four way stop sign here, uh it's a it's a race to let the other person through first. Whereas, you know, in <laughs> Boston or New York it's like, No, I'm going first, you know, blank you.
1: Yeah, no no question about no, it. No, your there, grandfather, there are it's unfortunate. They very different.
0: No, I was going to say, it's unfortunate that uh, technology-wise uh, that uh, he was not in the age of the podcast because uh, with the, driving all those miles, he'd it'd be, it'd be a natural fit to listen to the Bearded Carcast
1: that 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 is that's true that's very true he would not have been a gps guy though he was a person <laughs> that he drove one time on a road and he knew exactly the angle that it turned at and remembered everything about it and you know how i drive if, if there's oh, yeah. no uh if if there's no gps i will turn wrong and sometimes i'll criticize the gps because i don't think it's telling me in advance where i need to go quickly enough in any event when you talk about the dynamics of whether it be driving a car or teaching someone to drive or whatever it is you're building to your learning, you want to have a system in place. You want to have a philosophy in place. And I think in the NFL right now, we can very clearly see the differences in how franchises are, are built. Yesterday, Bill O'Brien was dismissed as the coach and the general manager of the Houston Texans. We can debate whether Bill O'Brien was a good coach or not. His record was in the neighborhood of 500. He won a bunch of division titles. I don't think there is any debate that he was an atrocious general manager and I think the impact of that will be felt for the Texans for quite some time as they don't have a lot of draft picks they have a lot of guys tied up to big money contracts and they have no depth whatsoever but the Texans are 0 and 4 and it's not because they lack big name star players meanwhile the Buffalo Bills are 4 and 0 and I don't know how many players on their team the average fan can name. And it's interesting because the principals, the GM and the coach, were here in Charlotte with the Panthers. But I feel like the Buffalo Bills, and man, it has been 30 years since we've been able to say this. I feel like they are adults. I feel like they have a plan. I feel like they have built that plan. It's not necessarily flashy, but it's working. And I don't know that I think the Bills are are going to the Super Bowl. I don't even know if I think they're going to win the division. But I am so impressed by the methodical way they've gone about building not a great offense or a great defense, but a full roster of players,
0: and it and it really brings up an interesting thought, right? Um, because Brandon Bean, the general manager, you know, a disciple of Marty Herney's here in Carolina, he was a long time, um, you know, started as a PR intern way back when I think in, in the early years of Panthers franchise, he continued to work his way up and went into football operations, and of course Sean McDermott, um, I believe he coached under. Um, Andy Reid, of course, you know, he, he was the defensive coordinator here under Ron Rivera. So, you know, you, you got the Ron Rivera tree, if you will, uh, going on here. Buffalo, I think you make a great point, Dave. I, I think, and I don't know if this is, you know, because Buffalo isn't, you know, in the top media markets. I mean, I don't know that people really know much about Buffalo outside of the fact that, you know, they're, they've continued to get better each year. They're 4-0 right now. Uh, Josh Allen, of course, uh, the quarterback there. They're probably not the sexiest 4-0 pick. I mean, obviously Kansas City and Seattle and Green Bay will, will take more of the shine from them. Um, but, you know, when you look at their next four weeks, um, you know, providing Tennessee is able to play. At Tennessee, they have Kansas City on a short turnaround Thursday night. They have the Jets, which is, you know, almost like a bye week. Um, and then you have New England. So I think this their next four weeks is going to be an interesting test. And, oh, by the way, after that New
1: England game, then they have Seattle. Yeah, the the schedule toughens up, and that's why we better talk about them now and not later. But I like what they've built, and it's not as though anyone else in the division right now is blazing on fire. We talked a bit last week about what the extra playoff team means, and you're going to have a team like Buffalo or Cleveland or... Las Vegas, or someone like that in the playoffs with with that extra team available. Obviously, if you're a Bills fan, your aspirations at this point are much greater. And, And maybe Josh Allen is going to be an elite guy that you build a franchise around and is going to win Super Bowls. But even if he's not, right now you're obviously positioned very well. I look at the Bills and the Colts in very much the same way. I think the Colts are built very intelligently they have a really good offensive line they're committed to the run game they're balanced they make good decisions they don't have flashy guys you're really excited about you're probably more excited as a bills fan because you have the young quarterback whether you think he's the next great player or not at least you have that hope than you are with tennessee and philip rivers but I look at them in very much the same way as teams that if you bet on or if you watch, you go, yeah, th- th- this team has it figured out. They they might not win the Super Bowl, but they're good. I- I've watched all four Dolphins games. You know I've been a Dolphin fan mm-hmm. for a long time, which is frustrating at times. This is the first time I've watched the Dolphins in a long time. They're, they're one and three. They've been outscored, yada, yada, yada. I love what I see. It's amazing the decaying carcass of Chan Gailey knows how to run an offense. That's a big shocker. Chan Gailey's been able to run an offense for my entire life. I mean, when you hire people that know what they're doing, that are established, and you give them an opportunity to, to do it, the, the Dolphins don't have great talent, but they are organized and professional and at some point in the next several weeks, they're going to hand the ball to Tua Tagovailoa and say, hey, we're not making the playoffs this year. The expectations aren't that great. Let's see what you can do. And if he is anywhere remotely close to showing promise and being accurate and and doing those things that you can build upon. They've got Houston's first-round draft pick next year, and they are putting together a nice roster. It's the opposite of why the Texans just fired Bill O'Brien. You can't have the guy driving the car that jerks to the left and jerks to the right and overreacts to everything. That doesn't doesn't work in professional sports, and specifically in the NFL that has – has a hard salary cap.
0: Well, I also think it's a different day and age, right? And even though technology sometimes can give you, you know, um, an advantage or a leg up, there's just so much information now that goes into the decision making. You know, something's got to, something's going to not get the full attention, right? Whether you're something on the jam side or something on the coaching side. Now, granted, you delegate, you have assistance on both sides of that job, right? But I, I, I think, the NFL has come to the point where it needs to be specialized. I mean, a general manager needs to general manage, and now I, now does a coach have input? Absolutely, you know. And is that relationship critical? No doubt. But I think when you look at the split scenarios, um, that you know, well, let me rephrase that. When you look at guys that had power on both, it was t- it tended to be more successful. 10 or 15 years ago, if, if you could even say that. I mean, Bill Parcells, I mean, that was the famous reason why he left New England was because he wanted to shop for his groceries too um, and not go to stop and shop. I mean, he actually wanted to, you know, pick his players. Um, I, I just think that with analytics now and with contracts and, you know, I, I think a general manager is its own job. And I, I think being a head coach, um, you know, and managing players and figuring out, you know, plays and you know doing all that that's a it's a
1: totally different skill set I agree it's two different jobs and they are two difficult jobs they are two incredibly important jobs and if you have Bill Belichick or Bill Parcells or Jimmy Johnson then you know maybe they have earned the right to do Both of those jobs. But the idea that you would give Bill O'Brien that opportunity is a joke. I mean, what had he proven to earn the the job of general manager? I mean, that kind of went predictably uh, off the chains. But I think that's a
0: selling point of – I think that only happens because he came from New England. Or or he had the New England pedigree because he was at Penn State. So I think – it, it, it was kind of that natural thought of, okay, well, he's been in but that it, system. I, I'm not saying I agree with – I mean, I, I don't know that I would have hired him in that in both roles, but I could see why somebody might do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the New England tree hasn't been successful outside of the guys that are in New England. I mean, there's a reason Josh McDaniels is back with the Patriots. It didn't work out elsewhere. Romeo Cornell is getting another opportunity as an interim head coach. Charlie Weiss didn't work. I mean, the, the names go on and on. And there have been so many of them. Inevitably, some of them are going to work out. But by and large, it hasn't. I mean, Bill Belichick is the great genius of them. And everyone that has worked below him, some have taken a lot and some have not taken as much when you look at where the Patriots are, we're skipping around a little bit now, but they're at two and two. How do you compare them to the other four and O teams in the AFC Kansas City, uh well, Pittsburgh and Tennessee are three and O, not four and O, and Buffalo, like when you look at the AFC East and you see the Patriots two games behind, are you nervous or not
0: really? I would say not really. And I would say this, right? So one of those games was against Seattle. One of those losses was against Seattle. Uh, A game they could have won, you know, but it was a difficult, hard fought game. And and against what I think we'll talk about later uh, being one of the elite teams in the NFL right now, this season, right? And then last night, uh, Monday night's game, uh, you did not have your starting quarterback. And, you know, it's funny, sometimes, and this is more of a, um, you hear this a lot in radio, right? So like when when so, like when you're doing a talk show and you, you have a really successful show and you go on vacation, you know, there's two schools of thought, right? Some people want the, the next best qualified person to fill in for you. Someone going to be entertaining, do a good job, right? And then there's also a school of thought, uh, which I don't really necessarily subscribe to, but I understand, is you want someone horrible to fill your spot because when you're gone and the show stinks, everyone's going to appreciate you more. Um and I think last night you saw the reason why Cam Newton came to New England. Uh, now, Stidham looked good in spots, and who knows if he had a full full healthy training camp in a couple of games, what he would have looked like. But I would have preferred to have seen Cam Newton, a more finished, polished product that we know, uh, in that game last night. I thought the Patriots' defense was fantastic. I mean, you take away those turnovers, uh, you know, obviously the pick six killed him. Uh, and they still had a chance, uh, you know, midway through the fourth quarter of, of – themselves in a position in that game um, so I think New England is a better two and two than um, than people might look at if you're just looking at the record I, I thought the defense showed great improvement for New England last night I, I just think that, that you know you can't turn the ball over four times to Kansas City uh, and expect to win the game
1: yeah I completely agree it was 6 three at halftime and I think in the fourth quarter it was 13 to 10 Kansas City. And you've turned the ball over four times and you're playing with your backup quarterback and you are right with arguably the best team in the NFL. I thought it was an incredibly impressive performance. I mean, it was a slop fest and that's Mm -hmm. what it kind of had to Mm -hmm. be. But that's what makes Belichick so smart that he knows the only way we're going to win is to muck it up and win it with defense and running and all those sort of things. You know, I I watched that 49er game on Sunday night against Philadelphia and wondered if they shouldn't be going to a college offense. I thought their best drive of the game was the one where they handed off to Debo Samuel and they handed off to George Kittle and they were doing all the misdirection Mm -hmm. stuff and they were running the ball. And like, I'm not so sure that the Patriots aren't the same. Obviously, when Cam comes back, you have a different offense, but I'm not so sure the ball control, running, using Cam as a weapon to either pass or to run the ball and all of that misdirection stuff, I'm not sure that's not The best offense for a team that just doesn't have a lot of offensive weapons i mean you can say that brian hoyer was bad and i thought he was bad and you can see hope and reason to like stidham but he was 5 of 13 passing with two interceptions but the running game and I, i know what they do with the running game they've been doing it for years they plug and play different guys so harris had the big game Last night and in another week, it might be Michelle or it could be Burkhead or it could be James White. I I mean, they kind of have mediocre running backs crawling on trees, (laughs) but I'm not sure that using all of those guys, using Cam and and playing kind of that option game, the read option game, the traditional option, you know, kind of flipping the ball around, ball controlling it. I mean, if Julian Edelman is bad and he was atrocious, Last night, I mean, he was he was dropping passes. He looked uninterested. If Julian Edelman isn't good, their wide receivers stink. I mean, that's not to say that some of the young guys, Bird and Harry, might be good players eventually, but they're not dynamic, game-changing players. The running backs are a dime a dozen, and. Maybe we're going to see the MVP Cam Newton, and maybe we're going to see the backups like we saw last night, and probably we're going to see something in between. But they can't win with a traditional offense. They certainly can't win with the Tom Brady offense. But I think they can out scheme you and outsmart you. And particularly with Cam, they can outnumber you. And I think Belichick is smart enough that that he will do that. I think they're going to be in a lot of close games because I don't think they're good enough to blow a lot of teams out. But it's interesting because you mentioned the schedule the Bills have coming up, and it is, it is significant. Is it your guess, because it is my guess, but is it your guess that the Patriots are going to win that division?
0: I still think they have a chance at winning the division, yes. I think they will. I mean, I
1: think they have more than a chance. I think they're going to well, win. Well, think
0: about division. it, right? I mean, you have you have you still have all your games against the Jets uh, and the Dolphins. Now, Dolphins trad- historically have played New England. Interesting. So maybe that's not a given. But you got two games against the Jets, and I and I still think they're the better team in that division. I, I still think. I mean, I think they're better than the Dolphins, and I, I still think I'd give them a little bit edge over the Bills. Now, I don't
1: know that they're going to go undefeated in the division. I can't say that. So if we don't love the Bills, but we, we take our hat off and respect what they've done so far, and we've talked about the Patriots and we've talked about the Chiefs, well, let's talk about the Chiefs a little bit more. They're 4-0, and and they've played kind of a bizarre year, right? I mean, they've played four games And they have had a couple, the first one against Houston and then the Ravens game two weeks ago that it looked like they they were not only the best team in the NFL, you know, like a a dynasty in the making. And then there are the two games against the Chargers where they fell behind and they kind of dramatically came back and won a tight game against an average or middling sort of team and then that slop fest against the Patriots last night. Do, do you believe that this is a 14-2 and two team that goes into the playoffs as the heavy favorite, or do you believe they are just among a group of the best teams in the league?
0: No, I think they're in the the, the latter. I think they're they're among the, the elite in the NFL. I don't know that I'd call them a 14-2 and two team, but I do think that they are going to be the prohibitive favorite in December going into um I mean I think they're the prohibitive favorite now. I, I they're just so balanced. I mean look what they did. Even even in that slugfest, right? Um they're just so dynamic on offense. Eric Bienieme, I don't know if he gets enough credit for his play calling. Um you know, there were a couple critical plays last night. Um you know, that little pitch they I think it was Hartman that went and scored for the touchdown. I mean, that was I thought the, the I thought the Patriots recognized it maybe a hair too late um but it was still it was still executed perfectly i i still think the uh the chiefs are the, the top team and look you know patrick mahomes you know he is he has emerged as you know i mean he's a, he's going to be a perennial mvp candidate for the next couple of years no doubt about
1: it and you know you look at would you take the chiefs the chiefs or the field in the afc
0: now that's a good question
1: Probably, I, I mean, mean if, if I, I think had most to, people would tell you Baltimore is the second best team. Right. They're very well coached, but the Chiefs certainly had their way with them two weeks ago. Right.
0: Uh, I, I mean, right now I'd probably say Chiefs, but I, the the field wouldn't surprise me. And, and look at Kansas City, right? I mean, when you look at, you know, offensive line, do they have one of the better or, you know, one of the top offensive lines in the league? Yes. Right. Do they have one of the top coaches in the league? Yes. Do they have one of the top – yes, right? Um, and the defensive line is not terrible. Um, and So when you look at those four indicators and how they stack up with other teams, look, I think, you know, Baltimore and New England, certainly capable of knocking them off. So, uh, I mean, I kind of – my hunch is that Kansas City is going to be in the Super Bowl, but it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, the field has, a, has an opportunity. I mean, I'm kind of
1: split on that. Well – and, and- And and that's why it's a good debate and a good bet, because it's not a sure thing. But if you think the Patriots and the Bills are somewhere roughly around the same neighborhood, well, we've already seen Kansas City beat the Patriots, albeit at home without Cam Newton. We've already seen the Chiefs hand it to Baltimore. Now, I would caution, aside from last year, Andy Reid's postseason record is not particularly good. And, you know, he tends to be the best coach in the NFL by quite a large margin the first six, eight weeks of the year. They're very, very prepared. They're very, very thoughtful. They kind of put everything on the plate early, and they're not necessarily the best closers. But I don't know how you could objectively look at the first four weeks and not think they're the best team in the AFC. How much better are they than everyone else? Well, you know, I think there's some skepticism there, but, but they look really, really good at, at this point in time. Maybe the team that's looked best in the NFC is Green Bay. I mean, once again last night, and, you know, we'll we'll talk about Atlanta and we'll talk about the NFC South in a minute, but I thought that was a spot that the Falcons had a opportunity to to be competitive, to kind of put their last three weeks behind them. And I don't know what's wrong, Mike. Maybe they're built a little bit like Houston. They're, they're top heavy. They've got those stars and not a lot behind them. I do not think they are particularly well coached and they didn't blow a huge lead yesterday, which I guess is progress for them, (laughs) but the, the, there's, they, they just aren't very good for whatever reason, and I think they need a new coach, and I think they're going to have a new coach. But th- what about the Packers? The Packers are 4-0, and and Aaron Rodgers has largely looked like he did five years ago. He looks rejuvenated, doesn't he?
0: I mean, I, I thought the last couple of years he looked like he was just going, not going through the motions. That's probably not fair, but it, it didn't look like he was as invested mentally as it appears he is this year.
1: Is that fair to say? I mean, I I don't I I thought he came to an end with Mike McCarthy yeah. last year. I I don't maybe I just saw it wrong. I think I was kind of beh- behind or or against them for most of the last year they had a good year and now they go to a bye week 4 and 0 and yeah, you can be skeptical of wins over the the Vikings and Falcons, both of who I think will have new coaches next year, they blew out the Lions, but that went over the Saints in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. that 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 is a, a big-time win. Rodgers has been terrific. It'll be interesting to see what happens when they come off the bye because they'll play at Tampa Bay mm-hmm. before what should be two more wins against Houston and Minnesota. I mean, you could very easily be looking – at a 7-0, 7-0 team before they go to San Francisco the first weekend in November. And that's interesting because that's off a uh, off a four-day break. That's a, a Sunday-Thursday before they go out and play the 49ers. Are, are you, at this point, do you think they are the best team in the NFC? They are one of two 4-0 teams with Seattle.
0: I still think Seattle has the edge for me right now in the NFC as being – Kind of the, the the elite of the of those two. I mean, Green Bay is probably for me would be in that New England. If you're looking at you know AFC versus NFC, I mean, what we just talked about, is, you know, is Baltimore or New England. I think Green Bay has the opportunity, but I just think the way Seattle's playing right now, um, you know, Russell Wilson. I mean, that guy is just a magician. Uh, you know, they they always seem to have one of the top defenses in the league. You know, and again, it goes back to coaching. Uh, you know. Pete Carroll is, is, you know, he has a pretty good track record.
1: Well, there's no no question about that. It, it's funny. They never impress you. Like, they don't blow people out. They kind of are in games, regardless if they're against good teams or bad teams, but, but they're 4-0, and and that's all that counts, and they should beat the Vikings this week. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't see the NFC as clearly as I do the AFC. I think Kansas mm-hmm. City is better than those other teams, though obviously Baltimore and several others are, are very viable. In the NFC, Green Bay to me and Seattle are close I think the Rams very well may be close. I know the Saints are 2-2. What a weird game. They played Sunday, giving up the first 14, then scoring 35 in a row. But when it's all said and done, I think they're going to be close. Those three are probably ahead of everyone else. I am fearful that the 49ers have suffered too many injuries, and they might just be finished. The the defense has been just a, a, a mess, and obviously, they played a fairly low-scoring game against Philadelphia, who is an equal mess, though they are in first place at 1-2-1. and one. I mean, the, the NFC East is is very, very bad. Um, let's talk about the Panthers and the Panthers division, the, the NFC South. I think we thought going into the year this was going to be a, a reasonably good, a pretty good, a very competitive Division, And then after a couple of weeks, I think we were like, well, I don't know. The Saints aren't playing great. The Panthers aren't very good. McCaffrey's hurt. The Falcons aren't very good. And I I certainly uh, remain skeptical on Tampa Bay. But, I mean, when when you total it all up, you know, the Falcons have been a disaster. The other three teams have shown some real signs.
0: Yeah, and, you know, you look at what Tampa Bay is is doing. You know, I I wouldn't say... You know, we're certainly not seeing Tom Brady in his in his prime, but he's he's playing well enough. I, I think he's one of those guys right now that you know the mental game. You know, he, he's making plays because of the mental game. Maybe not 100% due to the, the great physical. You know, not to say he's he's worn out and haggard, but you know, he's he's not. I mean, I think we saw it in the game two weeks ago. I mean, he's you know, he's not making the throws he used to make, and he's not as accurate as he used to be. But because he knows the game so well he can still make the you know good throws and the accurate throws when he needs to um you know that team's interesting though cuz they've, they've suffered some injuries too um you know New Orleans a little bit battered you know at, at two and two but you know those two I think you would still say class of the of the division and Carolina you know after two weeks it looked kind of dismal um, they've played two back-to-back games this this most recent game was the best game they've played of the four, no doubt about it. I mean, it was a complete balanced game on both sides of the ball. Joe Brady's game plan I thought was fantastic. Um, a lot of times it looked like Arizona had no clue what was coming. Um, You know, I think obviously some of that maybe has to do with the fact that, you know, Joe Brady coming from college, you know, th- th- there's going to be that adjustment to the NFL. And I, what the next piece is going to be, what's the NFL adjustment to what Joe Brady's doing? But we'll see that over the next couple of weeks you know Teddy Bridgewater you know it was interesting going from Cam Newton uh to Teddy Bridgewater or you know that could be Cam Newton to anybody that this is not a comparison of the two necessarily but you know Cam has a a certain way of doing things and we've seen that you know for nine seasons and you know Teddy Bridgewater was you know really I wouldn't say game manager is probably not fair but you know he was throwing guys open he was leading receivers um you know he 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 was judicious when he did run, um, and he had a couple of big runs that were that were huge. Um, defensively, I thought Derek Brown played his best game as a pro. Granted, it's only four games in, the first-round pick out of Auburn. Um, he was a beast. The, the second-round pick, Ytor uh, Gross Matos, he was involved in that strip sack, which ended up being a, a big play in that game. Um, now, I'm not ready to anoint the Panthers as you know contending for a division title, but – and I think we've said this all along, Dave, I think we knew the offense was going to score points. The question was going to be, what do you get from the defense? And, you know, they're pretty young on the defensive side of the ball. So I think it's, it's still a work in progress, but, you know, last week I wasn't really, you know, I still think they're probably in that close to 500 number, you know, maybe nine and seven. Uh, But, you know, you know, with, with an added playoff team, you know, you catch fire at the right time, you know, maybe they got a shot at it.
1: Well, I mean, I, I think total hats off to the coaching staff to to beat two and two. Um, maybe they'll be three and two after they play the Falcons this week. I think you then get to a portion of the schedule where the Bears might be a inflated 3-1, and one, but they'll be a, a tough test. I think the Saints are better than them. Maybe they beat the Falcons a second time, or maybe they split the two games, and then they play the Chiefs and Buccaneers. I, I think harder days are ahead. That being said, 2-2 two and two is terrific. Let me ask you this question. The Panthers and Cardinals were not the sextiest game of all time. In fact, I'm not sure I flipped to it once. There were just more interesting <laughs> yeah. matchups out there. For someone that's listening to the podcast that did not spend their Sunday watching that game, how did the Panthers win? Were the Cardinals bad? Was it something schematically about what the Panthers did? What was the one or two or three takeaways, or why did the Panthers win? Well, first of all, they were methodical,
0: um, and they they were able to sustain their drives, which is something that they hadn't done the week before, uh, even in a win. And what I mean by that is sustaining drives, uh, settling for field goals, right? In the game against Arizona, the Panthers scored three touchdowns in five of their f- uh, first five drives, which were all in the first half, minus an interception that that would lead to a touchdown for Arizona. Uh, it was almost a perfect half. So they were scoring touchdowns. They were, their scoring drives, I don't think they had a scoring drive less than four and a half minutes. Uh, there was one drive after so they, they answered a touchdown after the touchdown was scored on them uh, in the third in the second quarter uh, and in that drive I, I don't know when I've seen this last and granted I don't you know I don't research this week to week for every other team uh, but so this may be more of a rhetorical question but when was the last time you saw a 10 play drive a 10 play scoring touchdown drive um, that did not feature and it was a 75 yard drive but they had a 10 play 75 yard drive that did not have a third down. Yeah. Um and yeah, the third down good. numbers, Dave, you know, I that's one of those numbers I like to look at for teams. Now, defensively, the Panthers have been awful on third down. Coming into this game, Arizona actually had the best third down defense. I think they're holding opponents to something like 28% on third down. Panthers were 64% on third down, 7 of 11. Um and they had they had the ball um they had a, a field goal drive in the fourth quarter. That ate up eight and a half minutes, so almost it spanned like the last minute of the third into the fourth. Uh, now again, it resulted in a field goal, not a touchdown, but they they st- they they possessed the ball essentially for half of a quarter. Um, so and then and then defensively, it was complimentary football. Um, you know, the defense made some big plays. They had the strip sack that I mentioned earlier. Uh, they had a couple three and outs defensively. Um, it was. You know, look, and again, I'm this isn't the the 72 Dolphins, okay? Um, but it, it, I think for Panther fans or people that have a mild interest in Carolina, it was it was an encouraging sign that that this team put together such a complete game. Now, I don't know what we we talked about this a little bit last week. What what is it saying about the opponents, right? Like, what does it say about the Cardinals? You know, they, they played yep. the Raiders tough, but what did we make of the Raiders? So, you know, I don't know in the grand scheme of things if if you can get too high on this game. But I think it's encouraging that uh, the younger players played well, and on the offensive side of the ball, without Christian McCaffrey, you still rushed for over 100 yards between Mike Davis and Reggie Bonifin. Um So I mean, to be two and two, I think with Christian McCaffrey, you're thrilled to be two and two. And then to say you haven't had Christian McCaffrey for a couple of games and you're still two and two, um, you know, it's a, again, it's a good sign. But you know, you said you mentioned that the
1: schedule is going to toughen up here
0: pretty quickly, and um, we're going to see what this team's made of.
1: You talked about in week one what the environment was like at the stadium with no one there. There were a limited number of fans for the game on Sunday against the Cardinals. I was actually very interested. I got an email probably, I don't know, maybe Friday or Saturday that tickets were available to the general public, which means that I guess many season ticket holders passed on on ongoing. I don't even know if they sold out whatever the the magic number, 5,000 or 7,000 seats they were allowed to sell were. What was it like?
0: Uh, You know, it was good to have the, the, I think it was good in the sense of it was just good to see people there. Um, And I think because we've seen so many, empty stadiums or stadiums with few people or even like on the baseball side st- stadiums with you know placards for seats it was just good to have people back in there um and i I've mentioned this before uh before the for the new people joining the bearded carcast and you can follow us at bearded Carcast and email us bearded carcast um you know and you've been in the panthers press box it's kind of hemetically sealed um you know you're glassed in you do get some noise pumped in but it's very difficult, I think, to to gauge the atmosphere. I think you have to go out into the stands, and I I didn't I didn't have the guts to ask anybody if I could do that. Yep. Um, I don't yep. know that I would have wanted to. to be, you know just you know you got to be careful these days. But, um, but no, it was good. It was good to see, you know, on third down people getting up, and uh, you know there was one play where Dante Jackson in the second half was you know kind of waving his arms up on the third down to get the crowd going. So it was it was great to see kind of those things going on, but. Um. Yeah, it's just it's just interesting. It's just an interesting time right now. But it was be- I would definitely say it was a better experience than not having people there.
1: Are you surprised that the limited number of seats that were available were not scooped up incredibly quickly?
0: You know, I mean, I don't know enough about like the the number of PSL. Like, I don't know. How difficult or easy or hard that is, I I will. I do. I think I can say this with some some level of confidence. There are so many people on the PSL list, so the personal seat license. Um, You know, obviously there are a lot of people in Charlotte, uh, but there are a lot of people um, in the metro area. A lot of people in the region. You know, we have people driving up every day from South Carolina, uh, and I mean like Charleston, not like columbia which is only an hour away um i think there are a lot of corporate tickets and i think it's uh, i i look at it this way i don't think that's a reflection of people passing on the product i look at it as you know they found out you know early middle of the week i think logistically it was just hard for people to to figure out how to pull the trigger and organize people to to do it i look at it more of yeah, a logistical I thing
1: well, I think there are a lot of things at play. I think there are a lot of people that are just kind of reluctant to gather in large groups. The tickets were still expensive. You had to buy them in groups. So if you wanted to bring your family a four, you're still going to be out 600 bucks. And... um I don't know that the experience is the same. There's not the, the tailgating. Uptown is not lit up for the game, and, and there's not the, the camaraderie of, you know, 60 or 70,000 people gathered in a stadium. So you're not getting all of the things you would normally get at, at a football game. To wrap up our NFL segment here, I think we both thought that the Chiefs Against the Field is, is close in the AFC. What about in the NFC? If I gave you Green Bay and Seattle against the field, would you take that or would you like the field?
0: I like Green Bay and Seattle right now against the field. I think those are the top two teams.
1: Yeah, I still really like New Orleans, and I know that they, they've they given up as many points as they've scored, but I feel like their problem is – turnovers and penalties and I think those are things that they can overcome now if Drew Brees has lost more than a step okay that's problematic but I, I think they're going to be heard from before it's all said and done the NFC West I still think is very very interesting you just saw the Cardinals Golly, the 49ers when they get Garoppolo back, but they're not getting a couple of those key defenders back. I, I have very mixed opinions on who they are. I think the Rams are pretty darn good. I mean, that's the team that went to the Super Bowl two years ago. I, I'd be inclined to take the field over those two 4-0 teams. Yeah, I think for NFC. me the field me is, have,
0: is, a, is, a, is a work in progress. Like I need to see more over the next four weeks yep. before I can feel comfortable.
1: Yeah, that, that's fair. What about to win the Super Bowl? How many teams would you have to pick? AFC teams, NFC teams? I mean, Kansas City plus who before you took the the two or three teams over the field? If I gave you Kansas City, Green Bay, Seattle, do you take that over the field? That's a good question. Um,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, right now I would. I think. Uh, actually, I, I rephrased that. I think I would take the. I th- I think I'm going to reverse myself and take the field. I, I, there's just too much time left for me to feel certain that those three teams would definitely be be it. I, I think you have to leave some. Because every year there's always some, some team that maybe has that surprise loss or a surprise upset. So I I don't know. I don't know that I could take that right now.
1: I think if you gave me Kansas City and Baltimore – I would feel very strongly that I was going to have the AFC winner, and I think I would have the favorite in the Super Bowl. So I, yeah. I'm not so sure I wouldn't take Kansas City and Baltimore against the field, though. As you mentioned, a lot can happen. One injury to to a key player or COVID, right? All I mean, that. look look what we just saw last oh, week. Absolutely. I mean, you know. right? And, and exactly. And I'm I'm not sure how that's going to impact things going forward. I was talking to a friend on Saturday night about, you know, there was some thought that New Orleans was going to have to cancel their game and where the buys going to work out. What if there is a COVID issue in week 12 or 14 after the buys have taken place? It seems to me the only option the NFL has is, to back things up, play the Super Bowl a week or two weeks later, creating kind of a week 18 or 19 where you can make up games. Do you do you have another way that they're going to be able to go about it if there are COVID cancellations late in the season?
0: I think the only saving grace to limiting fans and not having a lot of fans and, and just the up-in-the-air nature of the whole season is that they have more flexibility than if um, – something happened in a normal year right like if there's some you know something biological or some crazy measles thing like how would you react to that in a normal season right you wouldn't have the flexibility i mean you know the super bowl you know, tickets are sold you know the events are going on like like you can't move it i mean maybe a day or two right um yeah. but i but i think because more of flexibility right because of you know where we are now um i mean i, I think it's the same thing that we've kind of faced in march the opposite right i mean you you know, because of what happened, you, know, you couldn't really do anything with the NCAA tournament. I mean, they had to cancel it. But because, you know, now, the, you know, with – I would call it like a limited – teams are in limited bubbles. I mean, I wouldn't call them complete bubbles, but the players and coaches and, and support staff that are directly with players are tested all the time. They're, they're sequestered from everybody else in the building. Like, if you're a salesperson – for a football, NFL team, you can't go walk down to the football. Like you're just not allowed. You can't go near them. You can't even touch anything that they that they potentially would touch. In fact, I think a lot of teams, the uh, like the marketing and all the other the business side stuff, aren't even in the building, or at least they're not in an area where they can uh, yep. mingle. Um, so I think uh, I'd be more concerned with a team wide outbreak, uh, or or maybe an individual player outbreak. But at least the way it's formatted, I think. They could extend a week or two to to do playoffs or Super Bowls.
1: Yeah, so they, they, I think they have an out. It's it's not what anyone wants, but I think they can get around it if they need to quickly. To NFL picks, you lost for the first time this last week. Kind of an asterisk because you didn't know no, that's that King an asterisk, wasn't yeah. going. Yeah. To play. I mean, I, I give you an asterisk on that and, and we're recording this on Tuesday, kind of an asterisk going forward because you don't know whether Cam Newton's going to play this week. There is no line, no line on the right. Patriots in Denver. My guess is if he plays, it's going to be over a touchdown. It's going to be eight, nine. And if Cam does not play, probably uh, five or six against Denver. I mean, you, you don't even have to make an official pick per se, but but generally do you think the Patriots blow out Denver with or without Cam or do you think it's a close game?
0: Um, I think it's a closer game without Cam and I think with Cam they're probably yeah. a touchdown or better.
1: Yeah, that's seems fairly reasonable. The Broncos have the, uh, the lone win against the Jets and their losses uh, at least the first two against the Steelers and Titans were tight and they, they lost to the Buccaneers 28-10. to 10. The Buccaneers are uh, my pick. I've steadfastly gone against Tom Brady, and I'm going to stick with that. Uh, They're on the road Thursday night playing at Chicago. I'm certainly not going to give a ringing endorsement to Chicago, but they're a 3-1 team getting six points against a Tampa Bay team that A, I don't think is that good. B, I think is overvalued, and C, is banged up playing on the road. So I would take the Bears, but my picks haven't been worth a great deal thus far this year. Bearded Carcast with Mike Pachinko. I'm Dave Friedman. You can listen on Stitcher and iTunes and SoundCloud. You can leave us a review. We would appreciate if you would do so. You can send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. It's been a while since we went to the mailbag. Maybe we'll do that next week. Mike, I was all in, as you would expect, on yesterday's Astros-A's playoff game. In fact, uh, later in the day, I was trying to figure out why I wasn't feeling so good, and I was kind of angry, and it was like four or five hours after the game, and I was still pissed off that Marcus Simeon botched a ground ball in the sixth inning. The A's were up 5-3, to three, two outs, nobody on. Top six, looking like they were cruising to a, a one-game-to-none lead in the best-of-five series. Uh, the ground ball went awry, the floodgates opened, and the A's lost. And they have now lost their first game in every playoff series they've been in, dating back like 15 years. And, you know, they, they've they had a cursed existence in the playoffs. Their series against the White Sox was a lot of fun, um, a lot of drama. I thought, by and large, the first round of the playoffs across the league was, you know, Maybe not uh, overly dramatic. There weren't a ton of game threes, but but generally pretty fun. I actually liked the
0: three game series, and um, I didn't I didn't think I would initially, but I liked it better than having a single game playoff. I, I just felt it was not only a fairer test, but it, it just held my interest maybe a little bit more. And isn't that interesting? Uh, going back the last eight playoff series, the A's have lost the first game. Um, that's crazy. I think the other problem
1: they had yesterday, though, it's was... It's not crazy when you consider that they lose every series. <laughs> no, I, I mean, know, but... I- if they no, won but to go eight series, those, it wouldn't be that crazy. I know, but to
0: go... I, I still think that's, that's an interesting number. Uh, I think the bigger issue was 0-6 with runners in scoring position yesterday.
1: Um... You know, how well, does that, that change? That's been a trend in those playoff games, yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, like, like before they beat the White Sox in Game 3 last week, the last time they had won a winner-goes-home, loser-goes-home, loser, uh, loser, loser home, home. winner-advances yeah. game was, was the 1973 World Series against the Mets wow. when they beat Willie Mays in Game 7. I mean, it's kind of... Extraordinary to think of how many games they've lost with all the money on the line. But but that being said, it was a really fun series. I mean, Lucas Giolito was tremendous in Game One, and then I mean, more or less, both teams played bullpen games. We want to talk about modern baseball in Game Three? I mean, I think it set a baseball record. There were like seventeen pitchers in a nine-inning game.
0: It was like calling a college baseball game in uh, February.
1: Yeah, and, and the new rules, I, I thought the new rules changed the outcome of the game. Carlos Rodon was yeah. on the mound for the White Sox, and he was kind of so, so okay. And they took him out, and they brought a guy in that, that I'm not familiar with, Foster. The guy yeah, they couldn't they find him. the plate, yeah. and they they couldn't take him out. Yeah. And he walked in two runs i mean in, in in normal baseball in the last 100 years of baseball it well, would have been gone after that to, first at bat after he throws appearance. 100% right so so what do you think about that that new rule there was another circumstance in that series and it didn't end up paying off for the a's but the a's pinch hit very very early in a game to change a lefty righty sort of matchup the white Sox countered by changing pitchers and because the pitcher had to be in for three batters the left-handed batting matt Olson got to a right-handed pitcher it was kind of like that 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 cat and mouse game, that chess match. I mean, clearly, that's what Bob Melfin was angling for, that, yeah, I'm putting up whatever it was, Chad Pinder instead of Jake Lamb, but the idea is if they don't change pitchers, either I'm going to get the matchup now or I'm going to get it in a batter or two that I want. And you, you kind of push the other team into a decision.
0: Well, I think it goes a little bit to old-school baseball in the sense of you know i mean and you know some of the older guys would say look you have to you should be, it doesn't matter where you are you should be able to get guys out right and i think now obviously the the three in, the three batter rule is maybe more of a speed up the game type initiative but it does harken back to you know the days where you would throw a complete game starting pitchers were, were supposed to i mean their mentality was they wanted to throw a complete game right now the game's changed and and so you know i still I'm still – a jury's out on that for me still. I, I don't know that I have a strong opinion one way or the other. I I, I tend to probably lean towards – I want to see more of it. Um, I think it's great if it helps you, and if it doesn't, you're going to hate it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. I'm a strategy guy. If you play fantasy sports or, or you play a game where you, you pick – Games with friends. I have a game that I've played for years with one of my really good buddies where every NFL week we pick a game for three points and a game for two points and a game for one point. And then we changed the game and decided, let's just give you six points a week and you can allocate that however you want. So you can play a six-point game or you can play six one-point games. There's more strategy in having to allocate it. I like there to be thought and strategy. It's like going for two in the NFL, and this has now become such a a huge talking point about you're down 14 late in the game, you score a touchdown, should you go for two? It's not a uh, uh, maybe. I mean, the numbers clearly say you should go for two. It's not anywhere close like you go for two the first time and then if you don't get it you have another chance to go for two the second time and tie the game but if you get the two the first time you're kicking an extra point the second time to win the game rather than to go to overtime and there's a chart that i've seen online frequently that kind of illustrates the percentages and it's it's clear as day to me having a dh takes strategy away I, I don't like that. I like managers having to make decisions about when to pinch hit, when to double switch, when to take a pitcher out. But putting the three batter minimum in, that adds strategy to the game. I want more strategy. I like the rule. Well, and I, to me, it's a little bit
0: like, and I wonder what the long-term impact will be, because I wonder if it's a little bit like moving the extra point back. You know what I mean? So in other words, right. you know, bringing yeah. a guy in was kind of a, I mean, for the most, you like you knew you had a lefty specialist and you put him in the right spot. You know, if it was your guy, if it was the guy you thought he was, he was going to get the out, right? And maybe not automatic, but close to it. So I think this is a little bit like that. It adds a little bit more strategy. That's
1: why I, I, I want to see it more, but I think it's interesting. Yeah, I I think it's interesting, too. Do you have any predictions? I mean, it just feels like we are headed for the worst of the worst. We're headed for the Yankees and the Astros. And, and, I mean, you can't cheer for either of those teams. I mean, the the Yankees, who have the huge payroll and have won a million championships, obviously you're a Red Sox fan, and, and the Astros, who cheated to win World Series. I mean, like, (laughs) doesn't it feel like, like, and again, I'm an A's fan. So if the A's lose, I will watch, but I will watch without a great deal of interest. It it just, it feels like we're headed for, for that. And maybe that's an overreaction. I mean, it's one game, right? They, the Yankees blew out the Rays. They put up five runs in the ninth inning last night and, and the Astros beat the A's. I mean, after today's games, both series might be one one, but in, in in this awful year of twenty twenty, doesn't it feel like we're headed for Astros Yankees?
0: I I would normally say that, but here's the interesting piece to this. I think is that I wonder if this is going to be a little bit like the NBA finals because, you know, you're you're playing on a neutral field, so you're not at home. You're yep. you're in a hotel with the other. So it's I, I don't want to say home field doesn't matter because in baseball it certainly does when you get your last ups. right. That that's a huge advantage. Yep. But other than that, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's just another game, I think. So I, you know, I definitely think the A's and the and the Rays, um, after one game, it's it's not um, it's not all lost. But it, you know, I think the Rays are the better team over the Yankees. Uh, but you know, the Yankees, I mean, um, you know, Stanton has that grand slam. I mean, that was a close game going into the ninth inning, um, and then they had, they had that five run ninth inning. Uh, you know, on the other draw. Uh, I'm not as um, revved up just because you know I'm not really you know I'm not American League guy like you, um, but you know I, I'd I'd like the Padres to win. I just think they're an, a unique, interesting story. And then I would say I'll I'll converse that just because of where we are, and say the Braves just because the it just seems like we get inundated with Braves stuff here. So it'd be nice for the local people in Charlotte that the Braves. I, I think Braves Padres would be fun, but the Dodgers are gonna the, the Dodgers are gonna
1: should I mean they should win that series. I think the Dodgers and Padres is an incredibly compelling series. I mean, the Padres have spent so much money and done so much recently to, to beat kind of the that, that exciting, hip team. And the Dodgers are just, you know, A, they have seemingly an unlimited bankroll, but also they've built incredible depth, particularly pitching-wise. The, the Marlins and Braves does not abundantly interest me though. The Marlins story, a being the, the small market and B having all the COVID problems that, 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 that's interesting. I mean, I have a hard time not cheering for them, but I I think the Dodgers are going to win. And I think if the Dodgers don't lose and the Padres beat the Dodgers, I think the Padres will beat the Marlins or Braves, but, but either way, um, both both of us are kind of more focused on the American League. You bro- oh one other thing on baseball. What about all the Central teams losing yeah. in the the Wild Card round? It's crazy, right? I mean, there, there were seven of them. Were there seven seven Central teams? Four in the National League and three in the American League. They all lost. Nuts.
0: Yeah, that's bizarre.
1: I mean, what well, what are the odds of that? Yeah,
0: crazy. I, I don't even. I can't explain it.
1: I don't. I don't even think that says that the Centrals were. Bad this year. I just think it's it's a fluke. It's a three game series. I I don't think there's much to be made of it. I just was astounded. I mean, the entire Midwest is gone. <laughs> it's it's it, bicoastal. Yeah, very very strange. Well, we talked about the Houston. NBA. Well, I mean, they're in the American no, West, but yes, uh, yeah, no, no, you're yeah. That's it, it's hard to call them West Coast. Uh, we talked about the NBA finals last week. I liked the Lakers in five. You liked the Lakers in seven. Man, what a what a tremendous win, despite all the injuries for for Miami in game three. I, I am skeptical that we are going to see a really hard, contested, tight game that the Heat have a chance to win in the final five minutes tonight. But I sure hope we get that. Absolutely. And,
0: you know, obviously with, with the injuries, and I think uh, Adebayo is supposed to play Um, so I think that, that helps. I, I probably would back off seven games at this point, but I'm with you. I want to see, uh, I mean, that was just a Herculean effort. Uh, and I like Jimmy, but I like this heat team, you know, I, being a Celtics fan, obviously I didn't like the fact that the Celtics lost to the heat, but that's, I think that heat team, there are a lot of pieces on that team that are interesting to me. Um, you know, you have some, you know, obviously some older, you know, established guys, uh, but you know, then you have, they have a pretty good mix of young guys that are, that are doing some great things. And I love Bam Adebayo. I think he's great. Tyler Hero is, you know, the K- Kentucky connection. Um, you know, Goran Dragic is a guy, I think, you know, he. I think he's somebody that you hate unless he's on your team and then you absolutely love him. Uh, and then Jimmy Butler, I think it's good to see
1: him have some success, you know, after he's kind of bounced around. Lakers are seven and a half point favorites tonight. And... Like I said, I very much want Miami to win. That seems like a lot of points, but I I couldn't bet against the Lakers. I mean, I I think they've kind of proven each time you've thought in this playoffs – okay, maybe this is the game. I, I remember game four against Denver. There was something else going on that night. I don't know if it was Monday night football or maybe it was an A's game and a buddy of mine said, hey, how all in are you on the Nuggets tonight? And I kind of have the same feeling I have right now. I sure would love for Miami to win. I really wanted the Nuggets to win, but it wasn't all that close. And yeah. I, I just don't know that I think it's going to be all that close tonight. Yeah, I agree with that. So 4 years from now, yeah, we will be a month away from a presidential election and your son will be able to vote. If he acts like many 18-year-old acts and, and th- this is not the majority or all, but th- there are plenty, there are plenty of any age group that just aren't interested. How will you react to that? Well, it'll be interesting to
0: see what the next four years are like. Um and you know you I mean you've obviously known John since he was born. Um so you've you've seen him grow and develop as a as a human being. Uh, obviously loves sports. Um, you know, there was a, a time there where he, he would uh you know, I'd bring game notes home to him and, and media guides and you know, he's always been kinda interested in current events. He still stays current with uh sports. Um and in the last two or three years I think he's Uh, Maybe I probably go back four years. I think he was in in, in on this in 2016. Um, He pays attention to politics. I mean, he knows knows who, I mean, he could tell you who Nancy Pelosi is. He could tell you who Mitch McConnell is. Uh, We kind of encourage that. Um, I don't necessarily encourage, uh, people might find this to be strange. Uh, I don't force an ideology on him. Like, I want him to be his own person. Uh, Now, he certainly thinks what he thinks, and, you know, I don't have a problem with it uh so that's not an issue but um but i uh, cuz i i think the build up to this last week when we were thinking about and we didn't talk about it last week but you know i i think your your curiosity was you know what you know what what is he thinking or what you know what how, how what level of involvement is he having and uh, he'll come to me and he'll show me stuff dave like he'll, he he follows you know he has a twitter account we don't let him post like we we just don't think he's ready for that but i wanted him to Uh, see stuff and um, and you know he follows you know like you know the traditional news outlets Uh, I think he might even actually follow Fox News too and I'm not saying that's a leaning but he just wants to see you know I, I, I told him too I said you know we've we've tried to teach him to be independent in thinking meaning you know if you look at all these different sources you know reflect on what it means and then make your opinion And um, so he's 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 done that. And um, I I think he'll be very much interested uh, to see what happens in four years. And I think he'll he'll still be paying attention. At least that's my
1: hope. So this election is very polarizing and this is not a political podcast. But if you feel strongly about this election and let's say the next election is similarly polarizing. And John opts for the opposing side of what you believe. Is that problematic in any way?
0: My approach to that is somewhat how my approach has been covering Panthers, uh, which is, um, I would put it this way, if you're going to be critical of something or if you're going to take a stand on something, I'm fine with that. But I want you to have thoughtful... Well researched, um, you know, well organized opinions on that. If it's against what I believe, I'm okay with that, as long as I feel like it's not a knee jerk reaction or it's not somebody is is influenced him inappropriately. If he has gone out and done his research and can say, I believe this because I think this, and and show, um, you know, a method of thought, I I would be okay with it. Have you voted yet? Uh, I'm going to vote on October 15th. That's when early voting Why starts October in North Carolina. 15th? That's when early voting starts Got in you. North Carolina.
1: Yeah. So have you looked at the ballot?
0: You know, it's interesting. Um, I had this reaction last time. Uh, I felt like I had been a little bit unprepared. Uh, I feel like. Um, like newspapers, you know, when you have when you have multiple newspapers and you have a lot of sources like that, right? It, it's easier to expose yourself to different views. And so this year, I'm making an effort of trying to uh, on some of the down ballot lower races. I'm trying to get more information on who the candidates are, so I can feel like I have a more informed uh, opinion on who I'm voting for. Uh, I, th- I feel like in the past it was easier to find those people. Um, in, in more of like a one-stop shopping, and this is a bad example, but like so for instance, like a USA Today, like you used to be able to go to USA Today and you could get like, you know, capsules on every, maybe not state yep. races, but you know, on on you know senatorial races, and you know, um, you know, and the, and the Observer, I think tries. I I don't know that you know, um, you know, we don't live in a city with the New York Times or the Washington Post, uh, caliber. Um, it's not a knock; it's just a fact. Um, so I I feel like I want to do a better job. I want to do a better job of. Looking at uh, you know some of the House and Senate races, uh, and you know like the judges and things like that. I think it's I think it's more important now, because I think for fifteen years I think people didn't pay attention to it, and it's uh, I think some of that is coming to roost right now.
1: You know I voted in California for a long time, yeah. and I would receive absentee ballots in California, and if I was living elsewhere, I, I would get my ballot from California in the mail. Probably, I don't know, maybe two, three years ago, uh, Nicole and I registered in North Carolina. And we have run the gauntlet kind of in what we did. The first time we voted in North Carolina, I applied for an absentee ballot because I believe you should vote in your pajamas. There's no reason to get in a a line. There's no reason to interact with people. You can just do it from your home. And I was sort of dismayed with the process of doing that in California you sign up for an absentee ballot and they just keep sending you it maybe once in a blue moon you have to do some sort of verification if you move or whatever but but by and large it's very easy and the first time i had to sign up for an absentee ballot here it was i mean it was filling out paperwork and they sent the paper back back and said i didn't do it right and you had to have several witnesses and signatures it was it was a process. It was difficult. One right. Might on even purpose. Yes. They didn't want you to yes, vote. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's possible. So the second time we voted in North Carolina, we walked to uh, our local um, uh, library election headquarters. Uh, it was more of like a, a municipal building, okay. and uh, we we voted early. And it went very well. There was virtually no line and we went up to the machine and it didn't take an abundance of time and and it went really well. But in a COVID environment, I have no interest in Waiting in a line and no interest in gathering with other people, certainly no interest in touching a touch screen that other people Mm. are touching. So I once again applied for an absentee ballot. And this time it was significantly easier. There, There were directions for doing it and they've eased some of the requirements. So I got my ballot probably two or three weeks ago and voted last week, but there were two things on the ballot that I was very surprised by or interested in. The first one is, do you have any idea why district court judges should have political representation? As a judge, why should they say Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green, or anything else? Those shouldn't be political offices. Those are judges. I don't want to know the political leanings of my judge. Well, it kind of goes against the fair process, right? It, it, to me, it does. Yeah. Uh, that, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, I, I've never seen that before. And I thought it was very strange. And I think that's the easiest way to bias someone's opinion. I mean, to put the political party, whether you are a Republican or a Democrat or anything else, or maybe you lean one way, it's easy to take the easy way out on all of those people and say, I lean more one way than the other. I'm not going to do the job of looking these people up and trying to read about them and understanding who they are and, and things of that nature. I, I, I really was disappointed in that. Well, that looks um, to me be
0: like being like a case of having it both ways because uh, after, uh, I think a lot of states did this, but after... Um, one of the Obama elections, they, in North Carolina, I'm pretty sure they did away with. Now, some people used to just do a straight, you could just hit a button and say, I just want to vote Democrat or vote Republican. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh that's that's gross to me. I yeah. mean you, the, the idea isn't to vote for one thing. Now if if you decide you want to vote for every Republican or every Democrat, God bless you, that's totally fine. But like the 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 what you explained about the way you want, would want John to to back up his opinions is how I feel about the whole enterprise. You should know who the two people are and make a decision amongst them.
0: No, but the point I was trying to make is and I agree with you. I don't I don't think you should just do that. But uh, the point I was trying to make is the counterbalance though is if if you put party affiliation on judges, it's a signal to people who would only vote one party that that's the guy they should or, or yep. galley should vote for.
1: Right, and I, I think that's a flawed yeah. system. I yeah. don't. I don't think that's how it should be. So I, I'm looking at the ballot here and. Again, I don't know how closely you've looked at it, but obviously the first things that are on there are President, U.S. Senate, U.S. House Representative, and then there's the state offices, the, the governor, the lieutenant governor, the attorney general, and so forth. But there is a race I am very, very interested in. I've seen no television commercials for. I, I, I don't know a lot about these people, though I did do my due diligence. But what are your thoughts, Mike, on the North Carolina Commissioner of Labor race? Um, I'll tell you what, it's it's important to
0: me. Um, now, that's not the the person that's in charge of the elevators, though, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. This is the reason I'm not so running, interested. Right?
1: Yeah. Which is, uh, like, I read the ballot multiple times to make sure <laughs> I couldn't write in here. I have lived in North Carolina for most of the last 20 years, and every elevator yep. you're in, there is a picture of Sherry Berry. in. Yeah. And, and, as it turns out, she is the North Carolina Commissioner of Labor, and she's been in that job a long time, and she's not running yeah. for re-election. Yeah. But like – and and d- l- l- let's not get beyond the point. It is an important job, and they have duties that are significant to a great deal of people. But every elevator I'm in, who do you want to be greeted by?
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm going to have to research that. I don't know.
1: Right. So like when I was reading about Josh Dobson and Jessica Holmes, you know, you read the things you read about most politicians, kind of their their ideology and what the job entails and things that they would like to do. But the things I wanted to know were like, you know, if either of them were willing to dress in a clown suit when they take their picture to then put in the elevator, like that would be something that would be very interesting to me. (laughs) That would be different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but like, these are people like, like, uh, you know, we're we're making fun of it and it should be made fun of, but you are going to see a picture of one of these people for the next several years, hundreds, if not thousands of times a year. I mean, if you work in an office building, you're going to see this person's face six times a day or however many times you ride the elevator up and down.
0: Uh, I guess the bigger question is why is there a picture of the person in the elevator?
1: Well, that actually is the bigger question. I don't have any idea. Uh, I've just, never noticed just fantastic that another marketing. State... I mean <laughs> <laughs> I mean doesn't one of these people have to answer the question, why are you running for North Carolina Commissioner of Labor cuz I want my picture to be in every elevator exactly. in the state?
0: Exactly. That should
1: be it. <laughs> yeah. If you had your picture in every elevator in the state, what would you wear? Oh, I
0: would wear a bow tie just to piss you off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we, Mike, Mike and I did. Yeah, Mike
1: and I did discuss uh, last week whether we were going to talk about the ballot for just a minute or two. And as I was going through my ballot, I, I I texted him if on your website the first picture that shows up is you in a bow tie. I do not care what you stand for, but I will not be voting for you. <laughs> All right. It's that's, a disqualifier. That's a disqualifier.
0: Well, we're disqualifying us. We're out. This is uh, the Bearded carcast. <laughs> Follow along at BeardedCarCastOutlook.com uh, is how you email us and at BeardedCarCast on Twitter. Good stuff. That was funny. That was about an hour and 17 minutes.
1: Yeah, we went a little
0: long.